following lecture was produced by the Gnostic Academy of Chicago, a nonprofit organization, and is one of many available for podcast, download, and transcription. You can visit chicagonosis.org to find courses, articles, scriptures, commentaries, and other valuable resources that address a wide variety of spiritual subjects, interests, and needs. Through the generous support of listeners like you, the Gnostic Academy of Chicago has produced online courses, lectures, and articles freely available worldwide. If you have benefited from this knowledge, help humanity through making a tax-deductible donation at chicagonosis.org. If you are interested in attending the Gnostic Academy of Chicago in person, you may view our online class schedule and freely register at meetup.com slash chicagonosis. The Chicagoland Gnostic Academy provides humanity with the necessary means for transforming suffering and acquiring personal knowledge of the divine. With this purpose in mind, we now begin the lecture. May all beings be happy. So throughout history, divinity has expressed itself to humanity in a variety of forms. We see the world's great religions. We also hear about many spiritual movements that have taken place across time. And as humanity changes, as languages change, as people migrate to new places, we often lose touch with the old forms. But that light, that light of divinity remains active and alive and moving. At different points in time, this light of divinity can become more active in certain places and certain cultures. Now, that's not to mean that it doesn't exist in the other cultures. It just moves its activity depending on um, certain contexts. But we know that God or divinity, however we like to conceive of it in our mind, is a very living force, is a universal force, a force of life and love and wisdom and truth. And in our Gnostic teachings, we often use the commonly known word of Christ as the title of that universal force. That Christ is not just one individual, Jesus Christ, for example, but is actually the wisdom and the love and the intelligence that can express itself through a human being who is properly prepared. And we call these human beings, masters or prophets, Buddhas, Christs, these titles for an individual who's reached that level of self-realization to be able to express more purely at, at their own degree the love and the wisdom of divinity, the teachings to help humanity. So in the Gnostic teaching, we have to understand that the light of divinity that touches each one of us and that reaches out to each one of us is beyond any one form, any school or doctrine. These schools and these movements and these spiritual groups and religions can be the vehicle through which God can express in multiple times and places. But if we just attend a school and we don't ourselves personally enter into contact and connection with our own inner connection to divinity, 
then we will not actually experience what we call initiation. Initiation is the beginning. To initiate means to start. And when we enter into initiation, we enter into a new birth, a spiritual birth, a spiritual growth. And this is something that doesn't have anything to do with schools or titles that are given to you or sold by different movements, but is something that is deeply within ourselves. There's a profound growth and evolution of the human soul. And when we experience that, we change as a person, not just externally by acting a different way or hanging out with different kinds of people, but actually by our quality of presence, by the wisdom and love that we are able to express, by the way that we encounter situations and respond to them, we'll notice that we are deeply changing because we don't have to force it, but naturally we are evolving, we are growing as a soul, as a being in a deeper way than just to externally achieve some kind of social rank or spiritual title from a given community. So how do we come into contact with that universal light of divinity? All of us at one point in time have experienced this. Maybe it's been as simple as going outside to a beautiful natural scene and feeling that awe and that beauty within that is spontaneous to the human soul. Or perhaps it's when we truly loved someone purely and from our deepest part of our heart. That is a form of experience that changes a person. And sometimes these can be little ways that we're changing. And sometimes it can be a more profound spiritual awakening, an experience where we really feel that connection to our inner divinity. Or maybe we have a mystical experience, an out-of-body experience, for example, a near-death experience, as we hear many people talk about. And that will change people on a profound level. And so when we experience that, we're actually using a type of sense unrelated to our physical senses. So we have five physical senses through which we experience the world as gateways that energy can come through and be processed. But there's also a sense within us, a spiritual sense, our imagination, our soul, our intuition, our ability to perceive something divine. And the more that we awaken those spiritual faculties, the more that we are able to perceive things that are beyond just the physical level, that are beyond just physical nature, and are more energetic, more spiritual, more subtle and refined levels of nature. These are still material in a sense, but not in the gross physical material that we're used to experiencing, you know, with our physical touch. And so when we awaken on deeper levels, we can even awaken out of our body. When we go to sleep physically, we can remain awake in the dream state with full consciousness, able to control what we do and where we go. And all these kinds of spiritual gifts are often what people associate with initiation, to be able to awaken spiritual powers like telepathy or clairvoyance or um, prophecy, to be able to see the future or to hear the word of divinity within us so that we can share that light with others or so that we know what steps we need to take in our own life to become better people. So if we want these types of powers, we often go to different schools in different places that promise us 
that they'll enroll us in a certain course and we'll advance through degree to degree to degree and be initiated and become masters or become self-realized. But as I've mentioned previously, what we really want is not the external validation from any other person, but that inner experience, that inner knowledge, that connection with divinity through which we know that we are really growing as a soul and that we are understanding life in a more profound way that decreases our suffering and decreases the suffering of people around us. So we have the, the ability to understand other people and to help them, but most importantly, to begin by helping ourselves and understanding ourselves to touch the truth of who we are. Now, in this time, we have these Gnostic teachings as taught by Samael and Beor and the instructors and the students of his tradition, which we call the fifth gospel. Now, this is the same light that has expressed itself throughout hum humanity's history through many religions. And that's why in this teaching, we discuss various religions and we talk about how their essence is the same and how their essence is a practical teaching that each of us must strive to experience for ourselves, not merely to learn it intellectually or to take it, um, to take it as a belief, but to actually practically experience it by using those spiritual faculties which awaken when we feel love or awe for nature or that genuine intuition with our inner divinity. So that's why this fifth gospel is a very practical teaching. And if we really want to experience initiation, we have to be well prepared. Throughout history, when the ancient mystery schools in Egypt or Greece, or um, you know, all around the world, ancient Tibet as well, were going to take an aspirant into the secret teachings, they would prepare them rigorously for decades to make sure that this person had purity of heart, they had worked to eliminate their vices and to practice virtue, and was skillful in meditation awakening their concentration and their awareness to be able to go deep within. Now, the age of Aquarius has brought this new doctrine, which openly gives the secret teachings, or at least a degree of them, so that anyone can enter into these practices immediately. And that's because, as all of us are well aware, the state of our world is becoming more chaotic. The, crisis, the crises that are impacting humanity are greater than ever. And there's just not enough time for all of us to go off into the mountains for 20 or 30 years in order to become really thoroughly prepared. But that puts the burden on each one of us to decide if we're truly going to commit to our spiritual growth. If this is truly something that we want to take seriously, then we have to take serious steps. It is not a practice uh, that can be entered into at a whim, but is a very serious commitment of the soul, which has ramifications, whether for good or for bad. So if we make this decision, um, we have to work at our own level in order to progress, but constantly being progressing in the direction of improvement, of virtue, of getting closer to divinity, and further away from the selfishness and the vice, which has characterized much of humanity, and as all of us are aware, which characterizes much of our own lives. And so when we talk about initiation, as I mentioned, we're talking about an essential change, a change in the quality of our soul. And the birth of our soul 
is only possible when we are working with our own energy. Each day, we expend a tremendous amount of energy, emotionally, intellectually, physically, and even consciously, our willpower. So when we take the step to become aware of our actions each day and to meditate or reflect in the evenings on what we have done that day, how we are living our lives, are we living ethically or are we really getting caught up in superfluous things that will pass away and not have much value to us in the future? We can evaluate how we are using our energy. If we want to awaken spiritually, we have to really conserve our energy. Now, the reason that all the great religions taught ethical principles or commandments or rules for us to follow is not because arbitrarily we need to do what someone else tells us to do, but because these principles, these ways of living an upright life, actually change our energetic quality of being. And if you've ever been around an angry person, whether they're talking or not, you can feel that quality of their being. And if you've ever been around somebody who's truly loving, maybe they're expressing that love to you, you felt that power of their being. This is a spiritual energy that we're trying to cultivate. When we work with principles of honesty, of <clears throat> selflessness, charity, chastity, and um, humility, we are actually cultivating a level of being that conserves energy and transfers it inwardly to awaken our consciousness. But when we engage in anger and envy and all these other vices that have to do with a false self, a sense of self that needs to be defended at any cost, but which is really just a figment of our own mind, that is when we lose our energy. We compromise our inner values and we, in a sense, forfeit our soul and our integrity for temporary gains for that false self. Now, Nagarjuna was a Buddhist teacher and a great master, a great initiate. And we could tell, as we look at this image of Nagarjuna here, that he is an initiate. Does anyone know why in this image we can see that he's a master? There's a symbolism to this image. Yes, the serpents. So behind his head, we see seven serpents. I'm going to talk a little bit later about the structure of initiation. But simply put, these seven serpents represent that he had mastered the seven initiations of major mysteries. This is a very high level of development. Raising the serpents. Has anyone heard of Kundalini before? So Kundalini is symbolized as a serpent rising up our spine. And this is because, as an initiate, we learn to work with that energy that we're conserving to transform that energy up the spine into the brain, into the pineal gland in particular, to awaken our consciousness. This awakens those spiritual faculties which are innate in all of us, but for many of us have become a bit atrophied over time. And this awakens our ability to become wiser, more compassionate human beings, and also to perceive more of reality beyond the shell of our mind and our false self. And as, as Nagarjuna points out to us here, he stated that all philosophies are mental fabrications. There has never been a single doctrine by which one could enter the true essence of things. So sometimes people say, 
that this type of uh, this type of statement means I don't need any spiritual teachings. I don't need to read any books. I can achieve awakening by myself. And this is true that there are some masters who are illiterate. But for many of us, we can actually benefit from practical teachings that guide us and that help us to realize where we might be imbalanced or which techniques we might be able to use to gain some energy, to gain some strength, to then do our own spiritual work, to then enter into the essence of things. But if we just read books or we go to a church or a temple and we go through the motions of prayer or spiritual practice, but we ourselves never feel that connection, that power, that inner spark of divinity calling to us, then we are not truly growing internally. We may externally receive some amount of recognition, but when we go to the end of our life and we evaluate our quality of being, we may feel empty. We may feel that we've created, as Christ said, the whited sepulcher, which on the outside looks beautiful and holy, but on the inside is dead. And so what we want is a spiritual birth. We want to enter into the true essence of things, the true essence of ourselves, the true essence of nature and reality, and the true essence of divinity, all of which are essentially one and the same. <clears throat> Another great master, Swami Shivananda, gave us this practical teaching. The intelligent or wise one has to discriminate within and advance by himself toward his own goal, his own self, while also searching for the emancipation of others. So it's not about following anyone who claims to be a master, but truly studying in, in an effort to awaken your own inner discrimination, to find the teachings that resonate with you, that call to you, and that awaken your own inner judgment. Many of us have been in situations where we feel a pang of conscience where we are about to tell a lie and a part of us says, mm, maybe I should just tell the truth. But then our mind begins to rationalize and to say why, well, but, but I'm lying for a good reason or I have a good intention for doing this unethical thing. And uh, in the end, I might be able to work things out and, and, and brush it over and I'll get away with it. Now, for, for some of us, maybe it's been many years since we felt that pang of conscience, but we all have some direct experience of that own inner judgment, that discernment. And this is really important as we try to prepare ourselves for initiation. Because as I mentioned, it's not about any external master saying to you that you are ready. It's about your own internal God, your own inner divinity teaching you and awakening you and helping you to grow as a father or mother would a young child. And as a soul, we need to be behaving in a certain kind of way through which we demonstrate the maturity within ourselves to our own inner divinity that we are willing to learn, that we are humble enough to learn and to change as people. And that is something that only each of us can know. We have guidelines, we have general principles in all world religions that we're all familiar with and which we can use as a great starting uh, place to gain our bearings, to begin living more ethically. But it's really when we're in a situation and we're observant of ourselves and the quality of, of our action and we act on advice 
And we see the effect of that. And we see how that affects other people and affects us and creates problems in our life. Versus when we do something virtuous and we see how that ripples out towards other people and changes our own quality of being and gives us a sense of peace with ourselves. So as we begin to evaluate ourselves, regardless of what other people's judgment of us may be, we have to be very severe with ourselves and very honest with ourselves. We have to really see in our life, what are the places where I've compromised myself? And maybe at the time, I did it for what I thought were good reasons, but now I realize that it was really a mistake and that I'm really missing something of value to me, a part of my own soul that I want to reclaim. And what steps can I begin to take gradually to put my life back in order, to get myself back to the place where I feel that I'm a person that I can respect, an individual with character that is noble or virtuous, or at least striving to that point, because of course, we know that this isn't something that just magically happens overnight, but is an effort of the soul. It takes tremendous super efforts day to day to be continually honest with ourselves and to see where we have shortcomings, where we have anger or greed or gluttony or lust that is creating problems, that is actually creating suffering. And not because someone else tells us that this creates suffering for us, but because we've repeated these behaviors again and again and again, and we know that they lead us to those same unfortunate places. And when we truly begin to work towards ourselves and understand deeply our own suffering, we begin to see how all the people that we love and cherish around us are also suffering, that many people are controlled by their anger or their greed or their fear, their insecurity, and that they live their life completely controlled by these negative states of mind and that they don't understand how to access the power within themselves to begin to take control over their life and to access a higher state of being, a state of being that is within the spirit, that has faith not as a mere belief or good intention, but truly by directly knowing that what they're doing will produce peace and happiness for themselves. And so it becomes even more crucial for us as we search for the emancipation of others from their suffering that we really work to liberate ourselves from our own negativity and our own problematic behaviors and um, delusional states of mind. When I say a delusional state of mind, I mean uh, this, the mental cage within which we often imprison ourselves. We hold to one belief so strongly. Maybe it's a belief about ourselves. Maybe we believe that we're a certain type of person and if someone comes across us who shows us otherwise or who disagrees with us or who insults us, we cannot help but suffer and be upset and argue or fight or react in some strong way to that situation. And that's all because we have a belief, we have an idea in our mind about who we are. And when that is challenged, we don't want to see reality. We want to refute reality. We want to argue with reality and assert that this idea that I believe is the truth and everyone else is wrong. And we don't just have ideas about ourselves, but many ideas about how other people are. Maybe many grudges against other people that, well, you're always this way and this is just the way that you're going to be. Or ideas about life and 
maybe some of them are more cynical ideas that really good people don't make it out in the end. Maybe it's only the bad people that really get what they want in life. Or maybe we have nice beliefs, but that don't actually um, take or produce fruit in our life. So we have to evaluate our beliefs, and we don't necessarily have to throw them all out right away, but we have to see them for what they are. We have to have this discrimination. We have to identify that that belief in our life is a filter through which we are not able to perfectly perceive the reality beyond our mind. Now, anybody who's tried to meditate and silence the mind knows that in the beginning, the mind is very chaotic, and that it's often hard to actually achieve that stability and that quiet of mind through which we can hear any inner voice of the silence, as many call that spiritual wisdom. And much of this has to do with how we behave in our physical life. If we're constantly distracted in our physical life or behaving unethically, we are producing imbalances energetically in our mind and in our consciousness that make it nearly impossible for us to be able to meditate we may develop a high degree of concentration, but we may not feel that we're really accessing that inner wisdom because we don't have the balance. We're not vibrating at that level in which we can be in tune with that. And so it's really essential for us that we try to not only meditate daily or regularly at a, you know, to an amount that is reasonable for us where we're at, but also that we try to behave ethically and become aware of the way that our mind acts during the day and how it may become distracted. And these are the beginning steps to developing inner discrimination, to being able to see, first of all, our own mind for what it is and to question our own mind, to separate our consciousness from the mind, to know that we are not these thoughts, but that we are the perceiver of these thoughts. We are not these emotions, but we are the perceiver of these emotions and the perceiver of our physical life. And that we have the power to free ourselves from negative thoughts and negative emotions, even to free ourselves from the suffering of our negative life experiences by changing our conscious attitude towards it and by behaving in new ways that are inspired by our inner wisdom rather than inspired by our fear or our envy or our anger or our greed, etc. Right, And so when we need to awaken this type of judgment when we realize that we've really lost the ability to discriminate within ourselves. We have a special practice in the Gnostic teaching that comes from the magic of the runes. And we actually have this book available, The, the Magic of the Runes by Samuel and Bior. But I wanted to read this excerpt for you about the rune Rita, which we can see pictured here on the slide. The present runic practice has the power of liberating internal judgment. We need to convert ourselves into judges of consciousness. To awaken the buddhata, the seed of our inner Buddha nature, is urgent. This rune has the power of awakening the consciousness of the judges. Let us remember what is called remorse which certainly is the accusing voice of the consciousness. So a lot of us have an accusing voice of self-criticism or um, 
you know, we're, we're evaluating ourselves according to standards of how others might view us. But this is very different from the genuine remorse of the soul and the conscience, which tells us right from wrong, which in that moment when we're about to lie, tugs at us and says, can you behave in a better way? Can you just tell the truth and, and you know, put this bad behavior aside? Or whatever that might be. Maybe it's not a lie. Maybe it's something else. But we know that in some cases, what is the right behavior would be the wrong behavior in another circumstance. And that's why it's so important to not just blanket a code of conduct, but to really develop our own awakened sense of what is right and wrong. To reawaken it, I should say, because as children, I think many of us are more in touch with this. But the more that we act on bad behaviors and our mind justifies it and gives us a really great reason for why we should continue on this route, the further away we get from our own inner conscience. And that's why we want to work with this runic practice, to work with this energy of nature, the energy of the internal judge, our own inner divinity, which can help us to remember remorse, to remember the part of us that has a great spiritual value and which suffers tremendously when we compromise it for things which spiritually are not of value, whether that is money or recognition or relationships or social status or uh, worldly success. Now, it's not that these things are, are bad in and of themselves, but if we have to compromise what we believe is right in order to gain these things, we are losing a part of our soul. And that part of our soul, we might have to work much harder later on to reclaim. And so we, each of us, have to make the decision for ourselves on where we strike that balance of, of course, meeting our worldly needs, but doing so in a way that we feel is still contributing something good or of value to the rest of humanity or in whatever way we might have a particular talent. And that when we begin to steer off of that course, when we begin to take those steps into a different direction, which causes us suffering, that we feel the remorse in order to then reevaluate, is this the path I want to take? Or are there a variety of other responses that I can, that I can um, bring up and think of to this situation, some of which may help me to feel more peace with myself? Samuel and Veora goes on to describe in this rune the following. Those who never feel remorse are truly very far from their interior judge. Commonly, they are lost cases. People like that must work very intensely with the rune Rita. Thus, they will liberate their interior judgment. We need with urgency to learn to be guided by the voice of the silence. That is to say, by the innermost judge. Within each of us, we have an individualized connection to that universal force of divinity, which, as I mentioned earlier, we call the universal consciousness of Christ in this particular tradition. Each of us has our inner spirit, our innermost God, that is our father or our mother, that is helping us to grow as a soul. And when we, when we hear the voice of the silence, we are hearing that powerful, direct experience of our own inner judgment, our own inner wisdom, which is guiding us in our life, what we need to do next to continue to learn and grow and flourish as a soul, and what we need to do to perhaps make up for the error of our ways. 
Now, this particular rune, we're going to practice, as I mentioned, if you stick around for the meditation afterwards, we'll just try it a few times. But simply put, um, you would stand with your left hand on your hip and your left foot out to make the shape of an R. And then you will repeat. Do it for me. The mantra is Ra, Re, Ri, Ro, Ru. Now, each time that you pronounce Ra, Re, Ri, Ro, Ru, each of those vowels, you're going to hold it for one long breath. What's important is not so much to focus on the vocalization, but to feel that energy, that current within us, you know, in the spine, vibrating throughout our whole body and awakening our consciousness, giving strength to the consciousness, to the soul. Working with this type of energy transforms the forces in nature, takes them into our own body, and helps our consciousness to awaken and have more strength. So we'll talk more about this later, but I felt it's very important in relationship to preparation for initiation because... Frankly, if we do not have our conscience awake and if we do not have the ability to discriminate for ourselves, it's very easy to become lost in the sea of life and in the uh, multitude of spiritual movements and masters and to no longer have that sight of our inner compass which guides us in our own growth and our inner development. So that's why it is truly urgent to awaken that. And additionally, when we do awaken this, we have to act on it. We have to really follow our inner judge, our inner God, because that will help us to achieve sanctity of our mind and heart. The purity of the mind and the heart is a prerequisite for spiritual initiation. Now, This, what we're talking about is an initiation in Christ, in which degree by degree we begin to incarnate our own inner spirit more and more and to express according to our level of development, divinity, as it manifests in us. And if we don't have a temple of mind and heart and body in which divinity can rest because we're vibrating at the, you know, at uh, antithetical level of being, then we cannot enter into initiation. Many people are able to develop spiritual powers to awaken out of their body, to you know, work with energy or concentration and all these practices, but they're awakening in a very egotistical way, in a way that strengthens the mind and that strengthens our desires. And many of these desires are desires to overpower other people, to make other people see things the way we want them to be, to Uh, gain more influence, to make people um, like us more, or to have um, uh, more success in our worldly affairs, but not necessarily for good reasons. Not to want to have success in our worldly affairs to truly help people, even if that's what we tell ourselves, but maybe our intention on a deeper level is, is more selfish. And so that's why only each one of us can really determine if we're awakening in a positive way towards God. If we're lessening the sense of our false self and we're really awakening more wisdom and compassion, or if we're strengthening our sense of self and our pride as an individual and we're only wanting to accumulate more power and, and more knowledge in order to uh, gain our selfish ends. And that's why Samuel Anveor teaches 
in the book, The Major Mysteries, that we need to have the mind of a child in order to enter into the major mysteries. We need to be like children in our minds and hearts. We need to be perfect as our Father who, in, who is in heaven is perfect. The great mysteries are not achievable through vain intellectualisms. The major mysteries are achievable with the heart of a child. So I know a lot of people, a lot of spiritual friends who spend much time, whether on the internet or with books, reading and studying about these things. And I myself, of course, am a very curious person and have read quite a bit about these things. But what's really important is, this, is that we can set aside the mental concepts, the intellectual concepts, and we can approach reality as it is, as it presents itself to us. And in order to do that, we do need a purity of mind. As a child, they can see many things which adults have forgotten how to see. If a child is in a room where his or her parents are fighting, they can see that situation and the pain of that situation in a way in which the parents who might be identified with their particular perspective are not able to see anymore because now they are caught up in the mind, they're caught up in the sense of self, in the tallies of who did what, and what, what you've done to wrong me, or what I deserve, and all of these ideas about ourselves that we've developed and strengthened into adulthood. And so we become more aware as adults of the many manipulations and complications of adult life, of our modern world and society, but oftentimes, we are so caught up in these that we confuse them for reality. Unfortunately, we need to be aware of these in order to navigate society. But society does not have much to do with the reality of nature and existence and divinity, which is a natural experience that the soul can witness. So when I talk about simplicity of mind, we have to be able to not totally give up intellectualism, but to set it aside, to put it in its place, to have the mind become the servant of our spiritual goals, rather than to fortify the mind in order to serve the selfish goals of our desires. Right? Really, initiation is achieved by the quality of our heart. It is through the merits of our heart that we rise, that we raise the kundalini up each vertebrae of the spinal column. And it's by the merits of our heart that our own inner divine mother and our innermost father and spirit judge us and determine whether or not we're worthy of genuine spiritual wisdom, powers, and abilities, those types of things. So we cultivate uh, this childlike quality the more that we are virtuous and act on the, the genuine ideal that we have for ourselves, a spiritual ideal. If you remember as a child what you thought made up a good person, you might have been interested in money or those types of things, but really there's a certain character that you might have strived for. And that's the ideal that we want to reawaken, the best part of us from our childhood. But now, with the wisdom of an adult, with the power of an adult, with the choice of an adult, to be able to actually give birth to that. Also, we have to die in many ways in order to give birth to that inner child. I mentioned about 
you know, our false beliefs, our false ideas of ourselves, the mental prison in which we live and suffer, which causes suffering for us because we can't understand reality and we can't understand other people or ourselves. And this is the part of us that we have to be willing to let go of, that we have to be willing to change. Maybe it is our addictions, which aren't necessarily to alcohol or drugs, but our addictions to certain behaviors or ways of thinking and living that we know create suffering for us, but that we just can't seem to break out of. If we really want to become a more enlightened person, if we really want to work towards the level of development that saints and prophets and masters were able to achieve through their own direct efforts and through the grace of divinity, then we have to be willing to die to who we are today. You cannot live both in heaven and hell at the same time. And so this is about our own psychological state of being. We have to be willing to let go of the way that we have lived and the person that we have been when our inner judgment tells us that that is not taking us anywhere but into pain. And we have to be brave enough to take those steps courageously into what we believe is right in order to really have life, to have that inner power and inner life that gives us real meaning and peace. So Samuel Anvior writes, when one enters into gnosis, direct experience of divinity, one has to die in order to live. However, proud intellectual people who have the habit of thinking in accordance with their own whims, vanities, and prejudices are not good for these Gnostic studies. This is a very difficult enterprise for intellectual people because they only want to stuff their minds with these Gnostic studies. And the reality is that Gnosis is a very deep functionalism of the consciousness. What we have to do with the mind is to kill it and thereafter to resurrect it totally transformed. We want a new quality of mind. For many of us, the mind is out of control, is going in the same directions day after day, repeating the same thoughts, the same worries, the same problems, seeking the same desires day after day, just on repeat. We want to get rid of this old mind, to really fight against it, in those moments when we feel that pang of conscience, to not let our mind continue to justify and hypnotize us, but to break free of it and to allow something new to be born. Because with this new quality of mind, this totally transformed quality of mind, we will have that bright awareness of our experience of life. The, the quality of mind that can see the best in other people, that can enjoy other people and love other people spontaneously and naturally, that has a wisdom to penetrate into the heart of a situation and to really see its spiritual value, not just its value according to society, right? Now, in order to do this, we do need to work with a very powerful energy and a very powerful practice. And in our tradition, we call this sexual alchemy. Just as with the practice of the rune rita, we are working with our creative energies we recognize that creativity is born of our sexual energy. And that's why the kundalini rises from the bottom of the spine where our sexual organs are. And whether male or female, we have physical, uh, physical sexual seed, sperm or ovum. But we also have an energy within that physical seed, which can be transformed, which can be raised into the pineal gland which will awaken the spiritual nature 
of our soul, which will awaken consciousness, which is beyond the mind and beyond the body. Now, as a single person, we have practices which we can use to awaken sparks of that kundalini energy. We call these pranayamas, generally speaking, and we can talk more about them. But the one that primarily I teach is just to sit, to focus on that energy, to sit in a med meditative, comfortable pose in which the spine is straight. Or you can lie down if that's more comfortable. And to just breathe deeply in through the nostrils and out through the mouth. And as you're breathing in, to visualize that energy as light coming up th through the spine into the head, saturating our mind and our pineal gland with that energy, that light. And then breathing out, visualizing that energy moving to the heart. As simple as that, we can harness the breath, we can harness the energy that is within the breath and within our body and within nature, and begin to strengthen our consciousness that way. But as Samuel and Vior points out here in this quote, we need sexual alchemy in order to really create the bodies of the soul. This is because nothing in nature, whether physical or spiritual, is born without the union of masculine and feminine principles, the activity of masculine and feminine forces. He writes, the only objective of the first five initiations of major mysteries is the fabrication of the solar bodies, the vehicles of the soul. In Gnosticism and Esotericism, one understands that the fabrication of the solar bodies and the incarnation of the being are known as the second birth. If we truly want to incarnate the force of our inner spirit, of our internal Christ, that is a frequency which is very, very powerful. We have within us currently astral bodies and mental bodies that can um, transform mental and, and emotional and spiritual energy to a degree. But these are relatively weak and dirty vessels through which the light of divinity struggles to shine. Now, through the cooperation of male and female, retaining that energy within the body, we are able to create spiritual bodies, spiritual vehicles, a, uh, a solar physical body, a solar vital body, solar astral body, solar mental body, and a solar causal body through which divinity can express on all levels. Now, what's important is when we talk about sexual alchemy, we have to retain the sexual seed. So whether male or female, we have to refrain from orgasm and to trans transmute that energy upwards. We know that when we let that physical energy out of the body, we produce a physical body. But to harness this energy and to move it inward into the soul, into the consciousness, we can create a spiritual body, a spiritual vessel, which is talked about in the, body, or in the Bible as the terrestrial man and the celestial man. We want to create a new type of individual. And so we work with this very powerful energy. Now the warning here is that we talk about white initiations, which are initiations into divinity, into the light of Christ, and black initiations through which we awaken an ego. We become demons. Now we may be convinced that we have good intentions and that we are awakening power uh, because we're really becoming great people, but we have to trust our inner judge to determine if we are walking on an egotistical path, on the path of light. When we practice white sexual alchemy, 
we are trying to come into connect, connection with our inner Christ and our inner divinity. And we are working with a very powerful energy. Now, the outcome of this type of practice is either an angel or a demon. So we will either awaken our own spiritual potential and give birth to our soul, or we will awaken powers, but powers that are demonic, that are entirely encaged in a prison of a false self, which grows and grows and grows in intensity and increases the suffering of us as an individual and also of others. So we have to really be prepared and really establish our own ethical center before we step into initiation. So we'll be talking a lot more about sexual alchemy and what's involved with that in the rest of the course, which will also be taught by the other instructors. But um, simply put, I'll give you an outline for what initiation is um, as, as we teach it here. This outline is just a framework, but of course the experience of it is something internal, which is experienced in our daily life. In fact, Samuel Anvior says that initiation is life itself, intensely lived with rectitude and with love. It is an inner experience, the development of the hero within our own heart, within our soul, but it is something that we create by the way that we face the ordeals presented to us in physical life. Sometimes in astral experiences, in, the, in our dream state, we may experience ordeals, symbolic ordeals that strengthen us. But many times these are conflicts that we're having in our physical life or problems, which challenge us exactly in that way that we talked about before, in which we're very tempted to go in a behavior which we've repeated many times, but which we have the opportunity now to face ourselves, to understand ourselves, to understand why we've gone in the wrong direction before, and to take a step in a more positive direction as we see fit. So there are, I've separated it here in this chart into four levels or four parts to enter into the major mysteries. The first is the guardian of the threshold. Now this is described in many traditions as a terrifying beast, um, which we know in our tradition is the form of our own inner defects. If we looked at ourselves as we truly are, we would see that there is a monstrous beast on the mental plane or the astral plane, that we have many vices and many problems and a lot of suffering within us that we've cultivated and fed our creative energy to throughout this lifetime and even previous lifetimes. And so when we face our own ego, when we face the guardian of the threshold, we are actually breaking our ties with all of the uh, vices that we carry within. Sometimes this is described, as in uh, Hinduism, as going to battle with our own beloved relatives because our, our vices and our defects are, one, are parts of ourselves that we very much cling to and that feel very comfortable for us and that we like a lot. And in Hinduism, Arjuna has to go to battle with his own family members who are doing wrong behaviors. And Krishna, which is the, the representation in Hinduism of Christ, comes to him and says, you must do your duty and you must go to battle here. So when we face the guardian of the threshold, when we begin to enter into initiation, we begin by breaking all of our ties with the Black Lodge. The Black Lodge being a representation of the black path of initiation, which is the path of vice and selfishness. And we make a commitment to really going against ourselves because we are our own worst enemy. So this is about 
um, taking on and battling ourselves. And if we defeat the inner guardian, we, we haven't fully destroyed the guardian, but if we defeat it, then we become the master of our energy. And we begin to be able to have more power and more self-control in situations. But if we fail in this ordeal, then the guardian of the threshold becomes our master and our ego dictates how we will live our life and creates more suffering for us. Of course, we can always battle again and again, so we have to be persistent if we fail. The next step is the four ordeals of the elements, air, fire, water, and earth. These elements come to us through various situations in life. Air is often associated with instability, with the loss of what one loves, maybe the loss of a job, in which we, we face a total uncertainty of life. And this forces us to develop a quality of consciousness which is unattached, which is able to continue on even in spite of losing all stability. We can be, we, we have a lot of movement. And this develops and helps us to balance our consciousness in that area. And the next area in which we need to balance our consciousness or our state of being would be fire, which comes to us in the ordeals of emotional pain. Criticism from others is often a common ordeal of fire in which we have to respond with the right temperature. Sweetness, in many cases, is hard to develop in the face of criticism. So we have to balance our nature to be firm when we must be firm and to be soft and gentle and sweet when we must be and to not be completely controlled by how other people behave or how what, what our external situations is, but to really have a level of being within ourselves in which we have control over our response. The next area in which we balance the consciousness is water, which is often a very emotional ordeal in that uh, we feel overwhelmed. We're thrown into social circumstances in life which overwhelm us and we're forced to adapt, rad radically adapt. Maybe we have to move to a new place and, really radically be able to adapt to new situation. And finally, earth, which helps us to develop the stability and the perseverance of the soul in response to obstacles and difficulties in our life. So after we've made the commitment to the path in the guardian of the threshold in that battle, and then we've balanced our own conscience, consciousness in the four ordeals of the elements, then we begin the initiations of the minor mysteries. Now, there are nine initiations of the minor mysteries, which relate to um, the nine spheres of the Kabbalistic tree of life, if you're familiar with Judaic mysticism. But what's important is to understand that these minor mysteries are different ordeals in our, in our physical life, which may have these qualities of the different elements, but which ultimately test our ability to persevere and to remain true to our spiritual goal in spite of many temptations and challenges which call us off of the path. It's often called the probationary path because we must pass this before we truly enter into the initiations of the major mysteries in which we are giving birth to the soul. Now, a single person can progress through all three of these parts of, of the initiatic path, the entrance into the initiatic path, but in order to enter into the initiations of the major mysteries in which we give birth to the solar bodies, the solar vehicles, we must be married. We must be working with our spouse in sexual alchemy. And as I mentioned, we are going to talk a lot more about that and all of these different uh, phases of initiation in future lectures. What I really wanted to emphasize and summarize 
in this preparation for initiation is that it is completely up to us to enter into initiation. Each person, regardless of their culture or their religious background or their upbringing or their current physical situation in life, has within them a connection to their inner divinity, has a spark of conscience which can be fed and strengthened. And each of us has within us an inner father and mother that want us to grow spiritually. The whole purpose of our existence physically is for us to realize a certain spiritual truth about ourselves, to have an understanding of nature and reality and divinity in ourselves. And oftentimes we are so distracted and hypnotized by the many things that we must keep up with in society that we forget about the real reason why we are alive. So to take the time to really assess our current situation in life and meditation and to really evaluate the different areas of our life that we spend most of our time and our energy and to see where we've compromised our values and to begin to take steps back to where we, we really believe we're living with spiritual dig dignity and integrity as a person. That is the preparation for initiation. And when we couple that with the preservation and the purity of our sexual energy through transmutation, then we are really knocking on the door to enter into initiation and our inner divinity and all of these masters that we've talked about in religions, which still exist in the spiritual nature of our reality will come. The masters of the White Lodge, the prophets, you know, whichever uh, spiritual master that you resonate with can help you, can aid you in this journey because it is very difficult. But that will come from within. We can be in spiritual groups and we can be in spiritual schools and we can read spiritual books. And these can be of help to us if we are awakening our own inner discernment but we must be careful not to get caught up in the politics of many religions and to not get caught up in problems that will distract us from the real growth of the soul and from cultivating within us the type of being and spiritual potential that we are really capable of. Does anyone have questions? Yes. How do you know when you have created a solar body? Some people have created solar bodies in previous lifetimes, although this is pretty rare, um, speaking for humanity. And so if that's the case, you would know because you'd be awakened in the astral plane, in the mental plane, in the causal plane, depending on which solar bodies were, were used. And, and not just a moment of awakening, which any person can experience, but continuous awakening and being able to consciously project oneself out of the body and travel at will. Now, if one has created these bodies in past lives, but then fell and, um, you know, for example, lost their sexual energy or, or behaved very unethically and lost that level of development, the spirit still maintains that degree of initiation. The initiations never belong to the human person, but always belong to the inner spirit. And so the spirit can never fall, but the soul can fall. So the soul will have to recapitulate and re-go through all of these steps of initiation in order to regain access to those solar vehicles. Any other questions?
Sure. So you, when the Kundalini rises, and you were saying it might breathe? On, according to the vertebrae. Is, if it doesn't do that, if it just rises? What's the difference? So we can have sparks. We can have very vivid experiences in which all at once, you know, we feel this, this fire, this illumination. But if that, then that experience passes and we're back with the same problems that we always had in life. If we haven't fundamentally shifted as a person and our quality of, of being, the essence of who we are, hasn't really grown and developed, then, you know, that was just an experience meant to help us and to teach us. But we actually have to do the hard work, just as a physical body isn't born in a day, but develops over many months. So with our soul, do we have to go through the pains of labor, so to speak, and develop those growing pains of the soul in which we struggle against ourself in order to become upright individuals? So it's almost better to go well, nature doesn't take leaps. So naturally speaking, um, you know, there are, there are certain people who say, you know, you can pay us $20,000 and we'll awaken your kundalini and they will produce some sort of uh, energetic experience for you. But that's very different from what we're talking about when we talk about, you know, initiations into, you know, the Christic path and, and you know, actually incarnating our own being happens degree by degree. Any other questions? So, so you're saying that I mean the the minor mysteries, the probationary path, that's where you're kind of getting help moving up the tree of life, correct? You're you're actually cleaning out the parts of you that are submerged in the inferior tree of life. So. So the tree of life has its shadow in the hell realms. Right. And we actually have to each time clean out the parts of us that are trapped there. So at that point, you're, you're starting at um, like Sure. Um, well, actually, I guess it would be the inverted yesod. You know, not much is actually written about the minor mysteries. Experientially, you know, you're, ex- you're experiencing parts of yourselves that are, that are very rigid, psychologically speaking, that are very hard to work against. Perhaps you have an answer to this if you actually start in the inverted kater or if you start in the inverted yesod. So uh, Dante talks about the nine inverted hell realms, spheres of klipot, which is a Hebrew term meaning shells, or the world of ego, which exists as a dimension within the interior of the earth. So if you were to physically go into the terrestrial crust, you would find caves or caverns, but not people, because the infraconscious dimensions are in the astral plane, but inverted. And as part of the minor mysteries, we need to confront ourselves. So we start to perceive internally experiences about our own inner hell. Because the White Lodge, the Christic Lodge, is showing us what you need to work on in order to change. So yes, to go up, you first have to go down. Every ascension is preceded by a descent. Which is why in every cosmogony or epic, 
the hero has to enter the hell realms first. Which is why Aeneas and the Aeneid by Virgil had to descend in order to find the truth that's hidden within those realms. Because our soul is trapped. Part of our consciousness is conditioned in ego, which belongs to those dense regions of nature. And if you want to go up to ascend the tree of life, you progressively must go down to see and investigate parts of yourself, your anger, pride, lust, fear, laziness, ego. So that by working on those faults and understanding them, we can extract light. So first, as Dante depicted in the Divine Comedy, you want to go to Paradiso, Paradise. He states that you first descend Inferno relating to initiation because every type of exaltation in divinity, every type of progress is stipulated upon whether we work and eliminate the garden. <coughs> and in that way, you can start to enter higher stages of the path, such as purgatory, and then at the end, to experience all the bliss. And unfortunately, humanity, whenever people enter religion or spiritual studies of this type, we all want to go to paradise first. But the truth is, if you're entering the minor mysteries, you will have astral experiences where the masters of the White Lodge will come to you and will show you you need to descend first. Personally, when I first started this teaching, I had an experience in which I was being attacked by a demon in the astral plane. And so I was, of course, at the beginning terrified. Then a master came up to me from the White Lodge and said, descend into the earth. And then he started to conjure the demon and kept him away from me. So I obeyed his orders and went down through many layers within this internal dimension. And then finally I came to a cavern where I found sepulchers filled with dead bones, debris. I intuitively knew I had to go out of that cave. And in that experience I eventually found myself in Egypt, in the astral plane, where I saw the temple of Giza, which physically is a ancient piece of architecture, which is a cadaver. But in the internal planes, the temple of Giza is active. And that temple was, I remember looking at the three pyramids and seeing the light of Christ there. And the Egyptian masters opened the doorway and let me in. And I remember having many other teachings they gave me relating to this process. But the simple reality is that they were showing me, you want to enter our temple, like the great masters before in antiquity. But first, go into your earth. Descend down into your own mind. Confront yourself. And the term descent simply means to face the results of our previous actions, our mistakes. So you can have experiences like that that show you what the minor mysteries are. And there are many other ways to verify where you're at through symbols, which is why we study the Kabbalah, which is the Jewish mysticism, 
the language of the internal planes. So every religion has its symbolism. The cross of Christianity or Jainism, many traditions have the same symbols, which is why we balance the study of the different religious traditions in accompaniment with our meditation so that we can verify and understand this is where I'm at. So first, you have to face that which conditions us first. And when you free consciousness, then they say, enter our temple and let us help you. But in the beginning, we get a lot of help because as we are now, we need light. And sometimes those masters will come to you and will awaken your consciousness with a spark when you're working with energy exercises, such as pranayama, mantras, runes, sacred rites of rejuvenation, which we have available in the books, but also on our websites. And when you start to spark that energy in yourself, the sexual energy, conserving it, transforming it, you start to have a fire that is going to empower your soul. And that's the beginning to initiate. So you can awaken sparks of Kundalini. It doesn't rise immediately, but you have, so to speak, fanning the flames. The coals hotten. And so when you have a spark, you start to have ecstasies, experiences. But to do that, you have to descend not only into the earth, but literally your, your physical life. There's Malakut and Kabbalah. The bottom sphere of the tree of life is our body. And the internal planes are in the cavern, so to speak, but also you have to discriminate what is happening physically at our jobs, in our homes, in the bedroom. Looking at our behaviors. Because if we act egotistically, we're wasting energy. And then if you have no energy, you can't see. I mean, physically you waste energy or expend energies, you feel tired. That consciousness also goes to sleep if we have no force. This is why at the beginning of religion, ethics, you want to enter the minor mysteries, train your mind, save your energy. And when you build that up and you're changing your physical life, your behaviors, and no longer performing actions that harm yourself or others, then you have a reservoir by which you can start to see. So as you can tell, that's why we will be continuing with the course because there's much to say on each of these different parts and, and even more beyond this. You know, this is just the beginning. There are uh, initiations of fire and initiations of light, uh, many things written about in the books. So this will be an ongoing course in which we have a lot more to say. To learn more about the knowledge covered in this lecture, we invite you to study the books available through Glorian Publishing or GnosticTeachings.org. You can also view free online courses, lectures, transcriptions, and articles available at ChicagoGnosis.org. All of this is made possible by the support of listeners like you. Have you benefited from this knowledge? Help others by making a tax-deductible donation at chicagognosis.org. We thank you for listening. We hope that these lectures aid you in developing your complete and divine potential. May all beings be happy. 
May all beings be joyful. May all beings be in peace.